Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Alessandro Masnagetti of Inogia on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm fine. So you were born in Milan. Yeah, I was born in Milan in, in uh, 1962. Uh, so it's almost 55 years. And, uh, you know, simple family. <laughs> no interest in wine. My dad bought wine from uh, a small vineyard near Novara in the Alto Piemonte region. But the wine was really, really terrible. Maybe this is the reason why I started so late to taste wine. Because he asked me to drink this wine, but really it was so hard. It was, it was a red wine, sparkling wine, which green tannins, acid. Oh my God, this was too much for me. And this is why maybe I started to taste wine so late. Because I started to drink wines... I suppose it was 20, 25 years old, something, something like this. Because my passion at that time was not wine, but was food. My dream was to become a, a, a chef, uh, something like this. And, but not, uh, I don't know the name in English, when you prepare uh, cookies, something like this. A pastry chef. Uh, exactly. This was my passion. Uh, fortunately, life gave me something different <laughs> because I know that the life of, of a chef is so hard, it's so difficult, it's just a crazy life. So it's wine is much better. <laughs> it's much better. It's a, you know, it's a crazy life as well, but it's easier, far easier to be a wine taster, wine journalist than a chef. And every time close in the kitchen, oh my God. But originally you picked another easy career, which was nuclear engineer. Uh, so, yes, it was the last part of my first life, <laughs> uh, or the first part of my second life, I don't know. I graduated as a nuclear engineer in, I don't remember exactly, it was 87, 88, something like this. But I remember that it was exactly the same here when in Italy uh, we had a referendum against the nuclear energy. So I was graduated and one 
month later, I was out of the business. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so hey, you know, but yeah, I I have to say I, I am I'm a lucky man <laughs> anyway. So after this, it was not a problem. I was passionate in wine, and I was in contact with Luigi Veronelli, was the most famous wine journalist at that time, and. He invited me in Bergamo. He lived in Bergamo, very nice villa, uh, very nice cellar with a fantastic cellar, such a beautiful wines. But not only the Monfortino, for example, but very tiny producer, unknown label. Everything was there in that cellar. But anyway, he proposed me to to write an article about the Alto Piemonte again. <laughs> Your dad's favorite place. Yeah, but you know, I, I was born in Milano, but my grandfather came from Oleggio, was a small town near the Alto Piemonte, really 20 kilometers from Fara, Sizzano, Gemma, and so on. For, for, it was quite natural for me to start to taste these wines, no? And um, so Luigi proposed me to, to write an article about the Alto Piemonte wines. I was a, I was a rookie, uh, maybe less than a rookie. <laughs> I was nobody, and, you know. And he asked me to write this article for for this magazine that was the most famous magazine and most exclusive magazine in Italy. And I said, oh, "This this man is crazy." But <laughs> anyway, this is an opportunity. I would try to do this, and I write this article about Farah, Sizzano, Bocca, and Gamma. And uh, he, he was really happy. He, I have to say, he was always positive with everybody. So, but, <laughs> but in that case, he was very happy with this article. The article was published within two months, something like this. And then he started to press me and say, Alessandro, why don't you work with me? And, uh, you know, you are a nuclear engineer. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, of course, the nuclear power plant will stop it. But, uh, you know, you have started as a nuclear engineer and you have to go to your father and your mother and say, okay, guys, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change and I, I'm going to write and taste wine. It's not easy. Uh, they were... Uh, they have been uh, very, very gentle with me. They said, okay, if you want to do this, it's not a problem. Come on, go. Because, you know, Veronelli at that time was very, very famous. So for them, the word Luigi Veronelli was something really, really important. So I started to work with him. But how did you meet him originally? Luigi. See. <laughs> I was um, I was doing my military service in uh, Sabaudia, that is 100 kilometers south of Rome. And you know, when it, you are studying as a um, lieutenant, you have not so much to do during your <laughs> day. And I started to visit restaurant because I repeat, at that time I was more passionate with food than wine. So I started to visit the restaurant and sending him letter about my visit to the restaurant saying, okay, there's a, it's okay, I've, I agree with your uh, notes about this. And what was really incredible for me that he answered. <laughs> Usually when you send a letter to a man like this, it, you know, nobody answered. 
And one day I received the letter signed Luigi Veronelli. And I said, oh, <laughs> oh my God. And it's, I was thinking about this really two weeks ago. And I said, I'm so stupid because I have not this copy. I have not this letter with, I don't know where it is, this letter, because it's, it's the starting point of my new life. And I have not this letter, or maybe I have this, but I don't, I don't know where it is. Like you dreamed it. No, it's not a dream. It's, it's true because I received two letters, I'm sure. And is in the first one, the second one, I don't remember. He wrote me, Alessandro, when you come back to the, to the north, please come to Bergamo to have a lunch with me or dinner, I don't remember. It was, it was quite usual for him. For him. It, it was very open-minded. And he liked it a lot to meet people, different people. So every day when I started to work with him, every day in Bergamo, there was someone for lunch or for dinner. Every time, every, really every time. So maybe a producer, maybe a, a cheese producer, a chef, some, whatever. I, I do not remember a day without uh, an invitato, I don't know, in, uh, someone else to, to be in, in there for, for lunch or for dinner. And for example, I met my, my wife, it uh, was not my wife at that time, but we met at the Seminario Veronelli. That was a structure made by Luigi to promote the wine and the knowledge of wine. So there was a scientific side of wine that was not so familiar with Luigi, but he knew at that time that was important, so created this seminario. And I met my future wife at the seminario, and maybe two weeks later, he invited me. Maybe it was the, my first lunch at the home of Luigi. So I went for lunch and he said, oh, Alessandro, oh, uh, now a young woman is coming for lunch as well. I want to present her because uh, she's a nice person. And my future wife arrived and, I, and we said, but we knew very well. <laughs> we met uh, two weeks ago at the seminario and he said, oh, my God, <laughs> this is not a surprise for you. But anyway, for, it's very important for us because our life together, me and my wife, started with Luigi. So for us, Luigi is something special. Something special. Uh, he was not. He was not a wine taster. He said that without any problem, he was not a wine taster. He was a wine lover, and this is maybe something more. <laughs> something more because our generation uh, I don't know you but my generation started to be a wine taster as a like a serial killer uh, you know uh, <laughs> like a machine there was always a side for the passion because you cannot do this kind of work if you don't have the passion but it was not it was not so strong as for Luigi, because uh, for Luigi, was the wine was a real, a real world. It was, it was wine, but it was, first of all, people. And for our generation, uh, as in particular at the beginning, wine was wine. <laughs> wine was, 
the research of quality, the, I don't know, but the, the, the people for me, for example, came later. Uh, I started to be interested in people after maybe seven, eight years doing this kind of work. Uh, at the beginning, for me, wine was wine. Was, I have to taste, I have to, I have to taste, I have to, know, I have to understand, I have to know everything, everything, everything around Italy. And there was a maniac, <laughs> maniac side of the, of wine tasting. And then I started to understand, uh, that wine is not only wine, it's people. And now, I understand that the wine is, is yes, it's a blend of, of these two, uh, wine and people. But sometimes you see there are journalists that create such an iconic producer that seem to be Einstein or, <laughs> you know, Dante Alighieri. I don't want to offend anybody, you know, but I think that Dante Alighieri is, is Michelangelo, is Leonardo, is, is true genius. We are normal people. <laughs> uh, even wine producers are normal people like us. So it's important to, to have a, a balance <laughs> in everything. When you taste, when you write, when you talk to someone else. And this is, I reached this idea in the last seven, ten years. Uh, because I've seen in this world so many exaggeration. Oh, well, something that is is more than wine. Uh, I think that we have to be more relaxed, more <laughs> more concentrated on everyday on everyday life in wine. You studied outside of Italy for a while. Sure, it was at the beginning. At the beginning, in the from ninety. 1990, 1991, until 1996, but at the same time, I think that if you, if you want to start to taste wine and write about wine and give scores to the wine, it's important to understand what, how, in, in which way this wine is produced. So it was for me really important to have a basic knowledge of enology and viticulture and maybe something more than a basic knowledge. And the university in Bordeaux at that time was very uh, alive. And there were, at that time, there was a small group of Italian that went to every course in, in, in Bordeaux. I remember very well, we were in the same classroom. I was me, my wife, Federico Staderini, Marco Palanti for Castello di Yama, Vittorio Fiore, and many other uh, people uh, following these this courses. And it was fantastic because, you know, it's, it's, 
is something you need. I believe that is it is something you need if you want to write about wine, but it's also a way to open your mind. So to listen to someone else who lives in another country who makes different wines and to understand their opinion and their way of look at the at the wines and this is really really important and that this is something that I have not cultivated as much as I wanted uh, <laughs> uh, because when you live in Italy when you taste wine of Italy there are so many wines to taste that that you are forced to stay in Italy and this is this was something uh, hard for me because I wanted every time to taste something different. You also know tasting wine from France, tasting wine from Germany, tasting wine from California, but you did not have the time at, at, at that era. So it was something for me as an Italian tasted something limiting, uh, a limitation, you know, but anyway. <laughs> You took analogy courses as well as tasting courses while you were on Bordeaux. Yeah, yeah, until 1996. Because, you know, at that period, you know, it, it was fantastic at that period because there was Denis de Bourdieu as a teacher and Yves Glory as a teacher. So uh, the pioneer of, of the new analogy in Bordeaux, it was, it's incredible. Denis de Bourdieu, it, it was, at the beginning, for an Italian, was not so easy to, interact with uh, Denis because it was so French, so against the Italian, so the Italian was rubbish. Now, people and wine. <laughs> but when you started to knew him, to know him, uh, okay, so it was a great man. It was really, I repeat, it's important to be open-minded. And Denis was more than open-minded <laughs> because he could talk about philosophy and uh, Barchavela, you know. Oh, because it's on his, it's on the label. Clove Florida and had a ship on it. Exactly, exactly, right. And so it was fantastic to listen to him and, and, his, and his idea about the wine. And so then you came back, and 95 was kind of a big year for you in terms of uh, responsibilities and opportunities. So the responsibilities started a little bit earlier. Because, uh, I don't know why, but I repeat, I was a lucky guy. Uh, I was a lucky guy, so I, I have no explanation for this. But, yeah, uh, it's only fortune. Because in 92, Luigi makes me editor-in-chief of the newsletter. It's not exact. I was not the true editor-in-chief when you are the same because he was the editor-in-chief I was right uh, the level under but anyway it was a big opportunity and in 93 I started to make the the wine guide for him with uh, Daniel Thomas's so it was fantastic mm, great opportunity because there were no rules at all <laughs> absolutely so he was the the commander in chief, but he never said you have to. No, no, this score is not correct. You have to change or completely free. So if you want to give ninety five to this one, it's perfect for me. I do not agree, but you are free to use the score that you want. 
I think it's incredible because there is in the publishing house there is always someone to, that decide what is right, what is wrong usually. And in that case, no. But there was a problem <laughs> that sometimes when he didn't agree with your judgment, he wrote it. <laughs> you know, you know. So in an article or in the wine guide, there is your score, for example, 95 or 85, and the line under, uh, I do not agree with uh, Alessandro, or I do not agree with Daniel. For me, this one is much better than this. <laughs> and it's, oh my God, you know. So the big boss say that you are wrong. He gives you the opportunity to write what you want, but he feels free to write that is that he do not agree with you. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, when, when you find a book with this uh, different judgment, uh, you, you know, the reader, the producer start with, oh, well, my, my God, my God. So, uh, have you seen? You have used 85, but uh, Luigi has given 95. This is true. This is much better. You, are, you do not understand nothing. You sound like this. Yeah, it was scary. But, you know, it's, it's, you have to pay a price. <laughs> You, you you can be lucky, but you have you cannot be lucky 100% <laughs> of the time. So you have to pay the price. And it was a great price to pay, you know. It was really nice. So I think some of the things that are really associated with him in terms of wine are looking at small producers, artisanal producers, as opposed to industrial-sized producers, looking at crews, taking the Burgundy model and saying, why don't you do single crews? And then some French winemaking techniques, like the use of barrique, is something that he seemed yeah, interested in. You're talking about uh, Luigi. Si, si. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's true. But if we, Luigi had to choose between small producer and big producer, the choice would be always small producer. But I think that is a also a way to, it's just a, provoca a provocation, you know, we can say this, uh, because it was a great friend with Piero Antinori, <laughs> with Mario Inciso della Rocchetta, so uh, we cannot classify this producer as small producer, <laughs> you know. I think that Luigi was interested in clever people, in intelligent people. Uh, yes, then he, for a kind of provocation, maybe he said, I prefer the baddest of the artisanal wine to the most refined of the uh, industrial wine, some, something like this. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a living school for <laughs> Luigi because uh, he went to California uh, in maybe late 80s with Giacomo Bologna, Maurizio Zanella, and they started to, to see what the other people are, were doing. So Andrei Celicev, all, all these things. And he proposed to, to use the, the French barrel to make this wine. And, mm, and I believe that it was a great idea. <laughs> uh, I, I want to say this 
because many the young generation look at the 90s as a terrible period a period of unnatural wine wine that do not respect the terroir yes maybe but it was a such a beautiful period because there was a there was an energy that you cannot find now many times now wine is business at that time wine was wine and yes of course there was there was being business as well because you have to live but every day you had a new wine a new idea a new grape variety and we did uh, and i used we did because we the journalist and we the producer all together we did a lot of mistakes in that period <laughs> but really big mistakes but well, we were honest <laughs> i think that it was necessary to make that mistakes because after that mistakes we realized that the solution was a different one was not that one uh, but it was important we 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 have to do these mistakes and what the new generation did, do not understand now is that that it was necessary and they only look at the wrong side of of, of the story and uh, you know if you look at the piedmont as well uh, you know the the langain generation if you look at the story now uh, you can say okay the wine were not so representative of the terroir or so on but if you have lived that period you are certain sure that without the, that generation the piedmont now would be very very different but not in the better sense of the phrase <laughs> uh, they have permitted to the region to increase at the speed of light really uh, without them we, we could be now 10 years <laughs> later 10 years in late compared to what we are now and i agree with some some old style wine lover that in that time producer like Bruno Giacosa or Giacomo Conterno or Bartolo Mascarello or Beppe Rinaldi were not so uh, I can say not so famous but were, were not so well considered compared to the new generation and this is true this was one of the mistakes that i said before this is true but at at the same time i i'm sure that all, also this properties also this one all this also this producer take uh, benefit from this a new wave because even their wine prices increased in the time so uh, um, I know you cannot measure everything with money, <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's, it's something it, when you produce wine to make a business, it's important if your price increases in time. 
Well, I remember Lorenzo Acamaso when I visited him. Yeah. He told me if the land prices are higher now, we have to thank the people who used Barrique because the land prices That's were not it. like this before. I, I, I've <laughs> never heard this from Lorenzo, but this is a really honest uh, statement. Really. I, I, far from me, I don't want to glorify this, this because I'm, I'm a wine taster. Uh, I was a wine taster now a little bit less. <laughs> uh, I am a map maker, but I, I want to be, I, I don't want to say this philosophy is better than one, than this one. I don't want, this is not interesting for me. Uh, fortunately, now there is a very huge market and every style, every idea has its own place. So there are so many different wines, so many good wines in made in different style, it's okay for me, it's not a problem. But anyway, it's a very honest statement from <laughs> Akumaso. This but is this is true. At the same time I don't think you could have pulled off the map project working with all those different producers if you were very strict about only liking certain styles. You know, if you said, oh, I'm only friends with these 10 producers, I don't think you could have made the maps because you couldn't have had the cooperation from everybody. Uh, yes, 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 for sure. Uh, I cannot say that I want to be friend of everybody because you cannot be friend of everybody, but I want to be transparent with everybody. I want to be free that I don't like your wine, but this does not mean that I don't like you and what are you doing. This is different. Uh, it's, sorry, it's my opinion about the wine, but uh, it, I respect you as a wine producer. You don't have to change your style because of me. Uh, I keep my idea that, and that's all. And this is for me always very important to have, to be respectful uh, with everybody. Uh, and maybe this is the reason that I can make this map now and in the past as well, because uh, the producer usually knows that everything is clear. There is no mystery. I I do not prefer this or this or this one. I'm I'm trying to make something that could last and help everybody. This is why. On my book of Barolo, this is a very brief dedication to the Barolo producer, no one excluded. <laughs> this was very important for me because it doesn't matter to me if you use small barrel, big barrel, uh, if you make five-day fermentation or 40 days fermentation, it doesn't matter to me. It's not a problem for me. Uh, this should be a book for everybody. And I want to speak of everybody. I'm so tired of this struggle about, again, the old generation and new generation. What does it mean? I don't <laughs> really, <laughs> really. It's so boring. But one of the things that's cool about your career at the same time is that you've um, interviewed some older generation people that were maybe neglected somewhat during their career in terms of media attention. Yes. You have, you have used a... And a very good word, neglected. <laughs> and this one was for sure Beppe Colo. And it was the owner and the former enologist of Pernotto. An incredible man. A man 
I don't know if in English we can say this is a vertical man. <laughs> uh, you cannot bend him. You, you can broke it him, but you cannot bend him. Bend him. And maybe this is the reason I like him very much. Uh, when we talk, oh, oh no, it's, it's not the right expression to say talk with the Beppe because you have to listen. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is no way to talk with him. Sometimes you can ask a question, but then you have only to listen because he starts to, to, to talk about it. It's, it's a river. It's a big river uh, floating. But uh, what is incredible is that you cannot say this to Beppe because <laughs> it's better not to uh, to do it. But if you look at its, his career, he was, in the 70s, a pioneer of new technique, new styles. So less maceration, um, concentration of the must, uh, the mosto. He was the first one in Italy to concentrate the must. <laughs> so he kind of cooked it a little bit, right? Sorry? Did he use heat to do that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. But it was a, he explained me this new technique because it, it was a concentrator made expressly for him. So he used heat, but very fast. So you didn't burn the must and the flavor and so on. And the result was very nice. But if you, if you think Bepicola, that now everybody looks uh, at him as a, Old school man, okay. In the seventies, was concentrating the must. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, this is if you are enough open-minded, explain you a lot of things, because you know uh, everything has its time, as everything has its season. So uh, Beppe, when he was young, he was a pioneer, <laughs> but you you cannot say this to Beppe. You cannot compare him to the new generation of barrel generation <laughs> because he, he, he go crazy. Uh, but in your mind, you can do it. And it's not far from truth, I suppose. On the other hand, you know, he was neglected. And the problem is that the, all the other people were not so... Mm, They, they had a lot of things to, to tell you, to, to the fantastic stories, but they do not want to, to tell these stories. For example, Bruno Giacosa, uh, you know, he, he knew a, a lot of things about crews and so on. I've tried two, three times to be with him um, an afternoon or during the morning and drive around the hills. No way to have information. No, it was very, very difficult. And many other people were alike, like, um, like Bruno. The only one that was different was Aldo Conterno. And I do not remember nobody else. Uh, so of that the, the, generation, the, the, you mean? That it was gen a generational yeah, thing. Yes, yes, yes. yes. The, the only one uh, surviving now is Beppe. Uh, and it was the only one who can... Uh, but the most important thing about Beppe 
is that he can tell you a story about wine. Yes, but he can tell you even more stories about people and tradition. And this is the most important thing because he is a living heritage <laughs> and you cannot understand that style of wine without thinking at that era, at that age, what were the relationship between human being, between the owner and the peasant. Wow. You cannot understand the wine if you do not know this human relation. And, for example, many people, when look at the hill of Barolo and Barbaresco now, says, oh, they have planted Nebbiolo everywhere. Uh, not wrong, but not 100% right. Because there was an explanation, there is an explanation to this. So if you, if you go back to the 50s and 60s, or even the 20s of the last century, the economy, the, the Barolo, was not so important like now. So the people living in that Kashina or in that estates, uh, we can call it estates, the first goal of every day was to survive, <laughs> not to make Barolo. <laughs> so it was important to have Dolcetto, that is an early ripening variety, to have Barbera, that is big production grapes, and then to have a good quantity of Barolo, that is for fine wines. And maybe you can have a phrase or something else, because you have to survive. You must have the money to buy a new pair of shoes to your, to your children. So this is why I say you cannot compare that period with this period. The vineyards, why? Okay, now there are more vineyards than in the past. Yes, of course, because they needed peaches. They had animals at that time. So in the 50s or in the 40s, if you have only vineyards, okay, uh, how can you feed your animals? With grapes? <laughs> no, I don't think so. So it was a different, not only culture, a different way of life. And one of the things that Beppe Cola did partially because of Veronelli's influences, that he introduced crew-labeled wines. Yes, yes, this is for sure. Veronelli was oh, really, really, really hard about this. For, for him, the, the vineyard was the uh, was most important thing. I've never discussed with him about this, but I think because he saw in this evolution so in this in putting the label uh, putting the name of the vineyard on the label a way for the small producer to to be more respected or to have the respect that they didn't have in the past and for luigi was very important this was a, a way for him to to say come on people you need to be respected there is a, many producer of that were born in the 50s can tell you that in the 70s 
when everybody went to the fiat industries in Torino to make a living uh, and they were remaining in the hillside and they went to the discotheque on Saturday, no girl wanted to dance with them <laughs> because because they they were working not in the field but they were working in the vineyards and oh my god you're not <laughs> yeah you're not a good choice <laughs> and now things are different unfortunately and maybe cause of luigi veronelli choice and about this about the use of of the name of the vineyards on the label anyway there is a different way to approach because for Luigi no matter the name of that you put on the label it was important to put a name on the label so you can use Vigna Fiore or Cerequio or uh, it was not so important for people like Beppe Cola it was important that when you use a name of a crew on a label it's important that this crew has something specific, something that you cannot recognize in the, in, in, in the glass of wine. And this does not mean that it's better than another wine. It means only that it's different. So if you are different, it's important to give you a particular name and uh, this is why I, I don't want to tell you uh, the name of the cruise, <laughs> but uh, in his career, Beppe has made different single vineyard vinification, and Canubi and Busia lasted very long. Many other were one vintage, two vintage, not more, and the name were also important. Important name if you if you look at, 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 at uh, a map maybe a map that you did uh, yeah and but he stopped to make this single vineyard wine because they were excellent wine but there were nothing so special compared to another crew so this is why he focused on Busia and Canubi. This is explanation from Beppe. And I, I can agree with him. When you make a crew, it's important that it has its own personality. But it's, and you know, it's a long story. And we are, we are a so young uh, country <laughs> that uh, we have to learn a lot of things. In Barolo, they have made a big work of the limitation. It's very, very important. Some people say that it's not perfect. For me, it doesn't matter that it's not perfect. For me, it's more important that we have the limitation. <laughs> it's more important this. So we can discuss a lot of things, a lot of detail. Okay. But the most important thing is that finally, after 20 years, we have an official limitation. Okay. This is a starting point. And if you are clever, you can start from here and do something better. Or maybe, for example, decide if you have 160 crews now, okay, we can decide in 20 years to have 80 to cut half of the, of the crews because we understand that is, they are not so important because or nobody used this name. Okay, great. But 
it's important to have a starting point to start to think about the cruise. And it's actually been something you've been doing for a long time. Originally, you wrote some magazine articles about the cruise. Yes. Uh, it's just a complicated story. <laughs> because I started, I started to, to work on the cruise in 94 when I was working with Luigi. Because I was very passionate of maps in general, even at that time. And I said, okay, but I want to do something in wine mapping. And at, at that time, you know, I was a rookie, as I told you before. So me and Daniel Thomas were on the same level officially, but, you know, is older than me and he started before me. So some appellation was uh, on his side. So he tasted the Barolo and I tasted Barbaresco, <laughs> you know. But when you are a rookie, it's, it's not a problem. It's, it's a big chance. It's a big opportunity as well to taste Barbaresco. But, so I decided, okay, I want to do something on the cruise of Barbaresco. And I proposed this wine mapping to Luigi, and I said, we can map Barbaresco, then map Neve, then Trezo, and start a series of maps. I was so happy. Fantastic idea. As always, as always with Luigi, everything was fantastic. And okay, well, great, great, great. We have to start it. And I started to work on Barbaresco. I found many, many historical information about this. I started to make a classification of the crews. But the problem is that we were not one step ahead. We were maybe 100 steps. <laughs> it was too early for the So the, the, this map was a real fiasco. Uh, it printed, I suppose, 2,000 copies, and it sold maybe 20 copies. <laughs> and so we look at each other in the eyes and we said, mm, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's better to wait. And uh, um, so we decided to stop. But in my mind, there was always the, 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 the idea to make a, a really a very detailed mapping of Italy and in Barola Barbaresco in particular. And this is why in 2007 I started again to map. But there was another reason as well. I was, finally, I was able to manage every step of the production as you because this is a very very expensive work because you have to travel you have to be there and if you take the material and you bring to uh, to a designer and say okay um, produce me a map with this oh my god it costs a lot a lot of money and at that time 10 years ago I started to uh, manage all the different steps and I started to draw by myself the, the map and the other thing it's important that in that period the first satellite images started to be available not of good quality uh, of course because it was very difficult to to match this image with the cadastral map uh, but you know it was a source of information so I decided, okay, with this one, I can do something good. 
and fortunately uh, I published this first map of the second life of my map map making in 2007 in the newsletter Energia. But at that time, because I remember uh, what happened with with Luigi Veronelli, so I said, okay, I want to do this, but be careful, guy. (laughs) So I have printed this map in a small size, A3 size, inside the newsletter to see the reaction of the subscribers of the wineries and so on and to see okay if it doesn't work again it's not a great problem it's not a great expense of money but if i print a large map okay it's, it's start to be something more hard to sustain but fortunately the answer were, was positive so i started to produce three four maps a year and uh, and I'm here talking with you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the rise of phone apps is probably helpful, too. The fact that people can just download it and they don't even have to have it physically shipped to them. Or... Uh, I'm a nuclear engineer and I'm really fascinated by digital world. But if you want to make a living <laughs> from this from this uh, work, from this project, paper is so important. Uh, The digital app uh, or the website, yes, uh, are important for sure, but the percentage of customers, if you compare the two side, paper and digital, paper is much more, 200% more than digital subscribers. And I am happy anyway, because the digital application give you the opportunity to have all the information very, very fast and to see the satellite images or geolocation with the new version of my app. If you are in the middle of Vigna Rionda, there is a pin showing where you are and following you in the Vigna Rionda. This is amazing. But a map is made to be printed. <laughs> and a, a map, because you can take your a map, put in the bag, put in the car. The map are made to be used. Uh, you know, the atlas, the root atlas that you are in the car, uh, it's always... Uh, it's always damaged, no? And, and you love it because it's damaged. And, and your wife says, you have to change this book. It's damaged. And you say, no, why? It's new. It's a new one. It's perfect. And that's it. <laughs> so, I mean, I can only imagine. For me, it's like sort of a, a dream to just go to the vineyards and be like, where does, where does this go to? And walk out with the vintner and see and feel each one and see how they're different. I mean, it's almost, for me, it's like an amazing activity to spend. Yes, but uh, I have to say that, (laughs) oh, this is so difficult in English, but I will try. When I make this, this mapping, usually I don't go to the vineyards with the producer. I, I want to be there alone. And I want them to see me that I am alone in the vineyards <laughs> because uh, 
I want to know something more than them <laughs> on the vineyards. Uh, I want to show to them that I love this region so much that I knew every every single row of vineyards, every single detail, and I I'm so happy that when I talk with them. And they say, oh, no, this is wrong. This map is wrong because the parcel is different here. I say, no, it's not like this. You, you think that is not correct? Come on, take the car. We can go there and verify. And they say, oh, no, maybe, no, maybe you are right. <laughs> no, and this is nice for me because, uh, because uh, I repeat, it's, it's a way to show them that maybe sometimes I love their land more than they do. <laughs> and uh, again, producer must be proud of their land. And, uh, and this is one of the reasons that I make this kind of mac. In particular, in, in a region where there is not, not a great tradition or a not, a no tradition at all about cruise and subzone and like this, like, like Montefalco, like Corvieto, that usually nobody cares about this appellation compared to Montalcino or Chianti Classic or, or, but I think there is a, a, an historical potential down there. And they do not know how to talk about their region. They are always repeating the same story that they have heard from other producers from other regions. No, you have to try to explain your region. It's not important that it's the most important one region in the world or is that the wines are so great. But you have you have to explain your story. Uh, your tradition, why this place is called in this way, okay, the wine maybe is not so good, but it doesn't matter. Uh, you have to start to talk about your where you live. You, you have to say, first of all, because uh, people, when sometimes happen that some producer asked me to make a map for them, no? And they start from zero, and they want to arrive to 100 in five seconds. And he said, no, no, you cannot do this. Uh, you cannot do this in Barolo. They took 20 years to make a, a serious delimitation, you know, 20 years. And you are an unknown region. You cannot start from zero and become a Barolo in one week. Absolutely no. The first thing that you have to, to make is that say who are you and where you are it seems simple stupid why what a, but it's so important because there are so many people in the states in finland in sweden in south africa in japan that even do not know where is is italy <laughs> you know and if you do not start saying who you are and where you are it's, it's useful because you cannot explain to a Japanese about the cruise or of Orvieto, for example, if he doesn't know where Orvieto is or where Italy is. <laughs> so this is really important for me and many other things because when you talk to the producer, every time in their mind, there is the soil. <sighs> Maybe this comes from Burgundy. 
uh, I don't know, because French people are very able to tell this story, <laughs> this kind of story. And maybe in their region is simpler than here, because Burgundy, you know, the slopes are very similar, more gentle than here. And I think that the soil is so important when you talk about the crews and vineyards, but it's not the only one factor that you have to use, uh, because uh, you know very well the hillside of Barolo. From the top part of, of the Brunate and the lower part of Brunate is 200 meters of difference in, in altitude. So if you combine the soils, the exposure, the altitude, the rootstocks, the clones, the training of vineyards, you know, uh, you understand perfectly that you cannot make a delimitation of crews based only on, on soils. And, but every time when you talk to the producer, the first thing is that, oh, we have the geological map. We can use the geological map starting from here. No, <laughs> no. I believe that you have to start from the, from the landscape, for example. The landscape is something that you can explain easily. Uh, a hill is a hill. If you have two hills and you look at these two hills, it's very easy to find a difference. So one maybe is more gentle in slope, the other one is steeper, and the one is lower, the other one is higher, and uh, there is a valley in the middle. There are many reference points that even the normal people can understand. A valley is a valley. A hill is a hill. If you talk about people about uh, this kind of soil, this is clay, this is limestone, they start to say, what is limestone? <laughs> no, but valley is a valley, hill is a hill. And another thing, for example, for me, sometimes people are walking around like truffle dogs, now looking at changing in soils. Oh my, oh, this is soil is a little bit different from the other one. Sometimes you don't even need to look at the soils. It's enough to look at the vegetation, <laughs> you know? So you have only to walk around and look on, on, at, at what is happening around you. And you have to change vegetation. It's, it's a first signal that something is changing. Maybe it's the soil, maybe it's the climate, maybe it's the exposure, but it's something that, okay, this is something different. You start to, to, to think about it, and you can find it in many places. In, in Barolo, it's a little bit more, it's more difficult because there are, the, the vineyard is so, uh, there are so many vineyards that it's difficult to see this changing in vegetation. But in Chianti Classico, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. If you, there is a road, uh, a white road, an unpaved road that goes from Fronterutoli to Vagliano, and you drive with your car along this road, always in the forest, do, 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 no vineyard at all, oh, but always forest. You arrive in Vagliano, after 50 meters, everything changes. <laughs> the trees changes dramatically in 50 meters, and the air, the temperature, even if you are at the same altitude, it's always 500 meters, the air is different, the vegetation is different, the view uh, from the hill is different. And this is what I want to 
I try to explain as first. And this is what I want the producer to understand. Because sometimes the producer, you know, you have to sell the wines, you have to uh, produce the wine, you have so many problems during the day that week after week, uh, year after year, you are always focused on your property. And sometimes you you do not even know your neighbor, <laughs> okay? And what I want to, to do is to push the producer to, and uh, to know your neighbor, know what he is doing, and not only hear what someone told you about this. Go there, uh, go to your, to your neighbor, but not only your neighbor, go if you live in Castellina, come on, go to Panzano and what they are doing and why this district now in Chianti Classico uh, is so famous compared to others. Why there is something specific in in the hillside people are different come on go there and look what is uh, changing and this is what i want to make with this map with my map really to force the the producer to to look at at their territory in a different way i think the traditional viewpoint of americans is often that well, at the end of the day, we're all Americans. We're all different, but we're included in this thing. And I think often the traditional viewpoint of Italians is the opposite. At the end of the day, I am Umbrian from this place. You know, we eat this pasta. And it's a little bit of a different thing. And I think if an American map maker had gone and made the maps that you made, the approach would have been different as well. In which way? Well, it sounds to me, from what you you just indicated there that really what's most fascinating to you is the difference and where the difference stops. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like where Margaret Mead, she wrote that the most interesting people were the people at the limits, people who didn't fit in uh, of one or another, because they could tell you where the limits were in the society. You know, if someone was considered uh, out of bounds and some of their behavior, either sexually or how they dressed, Uh that told you what the rules were. And for you, I find that, it seems in your talking that the boundaries, you know, where the boundary is of one thing changing to another is actually the most interesting part. Not, absolutely. Not uh, the heart of the crew. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, this is absolutely true. This is uh, really, is, is, is the boundary where, is where the things are, are changing. Is that, but uh, there are some natural boundaries, not only... In wine, our boundary in the wine region. But for example, if you drive along the road that goes from Monforte to Rodino, and if you have the opportunity to visit the properties on the left of the road and the properties on the right of the road, <laughs> and you compare the way of approaching the, the wine production or, or the human relationship are completely different, <laughs> are completely different. There is a road in the middle on the right, 100 meters on the right. They have a completely different uh, view of the world and uh, it, it's incredible. And this is me for me, again, the boundary is is the most fascinating side of this this work, and uh, because you know it's 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 also a challenge. 
to be more and more accurate in this kind of work. And I come back again to show to the producer that you are not making this job for for joking. You are making this job very, very seriously. So if the boundary is there, there is an explanation why. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to say that, that I'm right, but every time there is an explanation. And for me, it's really important when you map a region, always to have an explanation. So when you went through, the Brolo and Barbaresco maps were really, I think, what set your fame in the United States. So maybe we could talk about those first, although I know obviously you've done maps all around the world at this point. But when you went through Barolo and Barbaresco, what really surprised you? It's the human relation. And this could explain why this region is so successful now. You know, when, uh, when you meet someone and you feel immediately that he knows what he is doing. <laughs> uh, wow, there is something inside you that say, okay, now you can start learning something. And this is something that in Piedmont is so frequent, is so, it happens so often. And this is one of the most important things for me. This is why I, I want to be there. Because behind a wine, there is always a man, a thinking man. And this is important. I come back to what I said at the beginning, that in the 90s, we journalists, we the producer, we did a lot of mistakes, but every time understood or understand, I don't know, where the mistake were and how to find a solution. And this is the real force of the Lange compared to other regions, because other regions that were successful in the 90s, they have always thought to be the best one in the world. And if you gave 85 points to their wines, it was you that you were wrong, not them, because they were perfect. In the Piedmont mentality, Piedmont producer, mentality there is always yes if you gave 85 points they say <laughs> they are not happy at all but many of them in their mind start to ask a question but why this guy give me 85 points and then this one too gave me 86 and this one 85 again maybe there is something wrong. Maybe we have to change. And you, if you look at the story of the last 20, 30 years in, in Barolo, it's like a, a trajectory of a satellite that you every time adjust a little bit because there is an asteroid, there is something like that, and you 
adjust. In other regions, for example, Tuscany, where you have a fantastic potential, for a very long time they thought that this kind of wine, for example, a super Tuscan, was a, the winning horse. Okay, so why we have to change? It's you. The, the market is accepting this kind of wine. So if you don't like this wine, it's not my problem. It's your problem. Okay, it's a journalist problem. And the problem is that thinking in this way, the times arrived that market says, "Come on, stop! We are bored about this wine, and you are not ready. You you are not ready to change." in a way so fast that the market need, okay? And this is a big problem, for example, in some region of Tuscany. Uh, they didn't follow this uh, small change in taste and opinion in the market and in the uh, wine journalists. They thought that they were the best and their, this formula was the best one in the world. And uh, this is why sometimes... <laughs> For example, Super Tuscan in this moment are not so uh, well accepted by the market. You know, I'm someone who really likes Barolo and Barbaresco. And if I wanted to understand the crews better or the communes better, what are some simple guidelines that could help me do that? What are some things I should keep in the back of my mind if I want to understand the region? Yeah. The only problem, I, I want to try to explain this, the only problem is that you would need a, a car because it's better to understand. If you, if you have a, a car to drive around the region, you can understand the Barolo in, in an afternoon, not, not more. This is why many people say, oh, my Barolo is so complicated. Uh, well, it's not so complicated at all. <laughs> because when you come from Alba, you enter from the main gate of the Appalachian. So it's very simple. You have La Mora on, on your right at the top of the ridge, and then you have a ridge that is not the true boundary of the Appalachian, but almost the boundary. And on your left, you can see the Serralunga uh, Tower, and this is almost the eastern boundary. And you have the Appalachian here, included between two ridges, so it's a sort of bowl. And inside this, you have the two boundary ridges and two other ridges in the middle, okay? If you want to identify in a 30-second <laughs> where the best vineyards are, it's not a problem. You stand at the top of a hill or wherever, in Busia, or you can stay on the parking place in Saralunga or where you want. You look at the hour, it's maybe uh, noon. So you look at the, at the sun where it is. All the hillside that faces the sun are the best one. <laughs> this is, in, in five minutes, you can really understand where the best places are. But if you want to go in more detail, for example, Serralunga, there is a main ridge that goes north-south and other secondary ridges that uh, start from the main one, 
that have a southern face and northern face. Okay, the, you look at, if you, when you understand this, this structure of the hill, you have nothing else to understand. Maybe, maybe uh, from this point of view, Barbaresco um, is more complicated to explain because there are no specific guidelines, landscape guidelines that can help you. Maybe the, the only one, but uh, you have to be very in, inside in the in in this um, argument uh, is the ridge that goes from Soritildin up to Treso and up to the end of the Appalachian. Uh, this is the only one that you can more or less understand immediately from the landscape point of view. Uh, otherwise, all the other landscape details are more difficult to explain, and this is why I've made this kind of explanation in the book with the 3D map, because it, it's <laughs> on paper or in digital map, you can move the hillside to show where the most important things are. But when you are in the field, uh, the hillside, and you cannot move the hillside. <laughs> so there are some viewpoints, but the viewpoints uh, in Barbaresco region are more difficult to find. And this is why it's difficult to explain the structure of, of the region. For example, if you go to La Mora, to the Belvedere di La Mora, you can see everything. There is nothing to explain <laughs> because it's everything under your eyes. Is you can see perfectly the the ridge of Castiglione, the ridge, ridge of Serlunga. You can see that even the two boundaries of the Appalachian in Barbaresco, there is no almost no place where you can see each corner of the Appalachian. You can see some specific uh, um, spots, for example the. the Fantastic valley of Martinenga, Rabaya, Azili. Oh, this is, you can see it perfectly, but you, you can see only a part of the Appalachian. From this point of view, in the upper part of Payore, uh, you can maybe understand if you are uh, confident with this argument, uh, why this valley is so famous because of the steepness of the hillside, of the exposure that are in particular very homogeneous from Azili to Rabaya and so on. But I repeat, Barbaresco is more difficult to give you some few guidelines to explain. Uh, what, what, is important, well, what is important about Barbaresco is that, for example, in the southern part of the Appalachian, in the Trezo Township, usually the most uh, cultivated grapes variety were Moscato and Dolcetto. Trezo was very, very famous in the past for the quality of Dolcetto. The, the Dolcetto is, was really special in Trezo. And every time people say that this is due to the altitude of the hillside, but it's not true, because if you compare the altitude of the hill, that side, it's lower than La Serra in Barolo, okay? Uh, what is the difference between the two? The problem is that 
the valley between Treiso, uh, Montersino, Meruzzano, and the other side of the valley, so Brico del Drago, Podericola, is, a, is not a, an open valley, it's very closed. It means that the altitude is not so elevated, but the flow of air is colder compared, for example, uh, the Barolo region that, as I said before, is a kind of a bowl, okay? And La Serra is very elevated, but in this bowl, you have the radiation of the sun and the temperature usually is more elevated, even if you are at 500 meters of elevation. And this is why if you go on the side of Rivalta, on the, the side that looks at the valley of Tanaro and the Monviso, so the, 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 because if you are on the ridge of, of La Mora, if you go from north to south, on the left, you have the famous cruise of Cerecchio, La Serra, Brunata, and so on. On the right side, are, you have the less famous cruise of, of um, Novello, Tipo Ciocchini, uh, as Ciocchini, Loschetto, and so on. And if you look at the exposure, it's quite fantastic. <laughs> uh, because sunny, windy, so no problem of uh, disease or something like this. But you are more exposed to the cold wind. And for Nebbiolo, this is a big problem. And this, this is why in that part of the, of, of the region, the Nebbiolo was less cultivated. Because, uh, okay, you look, everything looks so nice, so fine, so, so perfect. But the wind... And so again, the temperature, the changing in temperature are more more strong compared to the other part we can call the classic, but it's not correct. But anyway, the most reputed part of the Appalachians of Chiraki and so on. And this is why coming back to Barbaresco, the altitude is not so different compared to the higher part of Barolo, but the valley is more close in and the temperature is, is lower. That's why the, the, it's perfect for Moscato and, and Dolcetto. Again, with the changing in climate, things are changing as well. I mean, that's really the difference I've seen, though, is that when I talk to Beppe Cola and Lorenzo Acamasso, they tell me that, you know, the south-facing vineyard is the better vineyard, kind of like what you said before. But when I talk to the younger producers now, they say, uh, you know, maybe I get a little not south. Uh, yeah. I agree. If I have to choose between the two, I prefer to choose the Bepicola and Lorenzo <laughs> point of view. Um It's true, okay, in 2003, in other very hot vintages, it's normal that some spots in the Canubi with sandy soils in the upper part, they have suffered a lot from drought. There was no water enough in that year. But, you know, uh, it's one specific year in a decade. So I think that 
the the most important crews are those crews where you have on 10 vintages you have eight excellent vintages and this is the big difference uh, there are some other vintages that on 10 decades you have five vintages this is the the big difference between the two but uh, it's difficult to compare the classic view of the cruise of Beppe Cola and Lorenzo Comasso with the, what we think about the cruise now because in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s the vineyards were cultivated in the same way everywhere in the Barolo region. This, this was the, the vine, these were the grapes and that's all. Yeah, no cutting of uh, grapes, of exceeding grapes and so on. Everybody produced in the same way. So in this situation, it's clear that the Grand Cru comes out immediately because everybody works in the same way, um, usually huge production, because in, remember that they had to, to survive at that time. And so it's clear that Canubi, Cerecchio, Brunate were considered the best position. And someone told me about this, and it, it was a good explanation. Why Canubi is so famous compared to other places? Because it, it was an early ripening hill. And in the 70s, it was important to have an early ripening vineyard because it means to to pick up the, the grapes before the, 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 the rainfall. And this is why Canubi were, was so famous. And coming to our era, less production, sometimes very tiny production, it's clear that if the gap, uh, if in the, in the 70s or in the 60s, the gap from between Cerequio and another unknown, almost unknown in the world, huge now you can work as much as you can with Cerecchio but the quality cannot go over 100 because 100 is, is, is the top it is clear that all the other crews increase the quality and the gap between Cerecchio and other crews is less than in the past but it's due maybe to the climate but I think first of all to the to the man, the way that you cultivate your vineyard. So you've done many things. What is it that you'd like to do next in your career? <laughs> you know, uh, every every day I have a new project. I have a new idea. So really, uh, I've never planned my life, my career. I, I I'm sure that for two three years. The mapping project would be my first project, but I'm not sure that in four or five years <laughs> it will be the same because I like to change. I, I think that uh, we as journalists, we have to try in this, if in the past uh, tasting wines and giving scores uh, was maybe interesting and very important as well, uh, I think that now... Uh, except for some iconic taster uh, and very reputed taster, all the other 
people working in wine, in wine publishing, we need ideas, we need new projects, we need uh, something different. And this is what I want to do. Uh, it's me, it's so sad to see people of 30 years old, 35 years old, spending all their time in tasting wine. Oh my God, yeah. Our gen my generation has done this. <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> uh, your, your generation, yes, it's important to taste, of course, because if you do not taste, you do not know the wine, but cannot be your goal for all your life. You are a new generation. You have to produce something different from my generation. You have to give to me new ideas. It's not me at five, 55 years old to have new ideas. I hope to have new ideas in the future, of course, because I want to be in this business long, as long as I can. But I want the new generation to, to, to make something different. But uh, I'm not sure <laughs> that this will happen in, in, in the future. Anyway, uh, for on my side, the, the, the last project is the Chianti Classico. Is the 3D map of the Chianti Classico. I always, always thought that 3D mapping is so fascinating, is so auto-explicative, because when you have a 3D map, there is nothing to write. <laughs> there is nothing. It's, it's there, you know? Uh, you have only to look and start to be fascinated on the difference, following the valleys, the mountain, and that's all. Uh, from the educational point of view, it's, it's very easy with a 3D map on the table and 10 sommeliers around you. It takes 10 minutes to explain a region, not more, because it's there. <laughs> it's even better that use an helicopter and turn around two hours over the hillside of Barolo. It's better to have a 3D map on the table. The problem of the 3D map is that you cannot take your map and put it in the car. <laughs> and drive around Barolo with your map. <laughs> uh, the printed map is much better. The printed map is it's easier to use and you can put in your car and that's it. But I want to work on this 3D project in the next future, but I have many other things. Alessandro Massangetti is most interested in the borders between where things change. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you so much to you, Levi. Alessandro Masnagetti is the editor of Enogia and the cartographer of many renowned wine maps. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.
This episode was made possible by Vinitaly, the world's largest wine fair, held each year in Verona, Italy.